Chapter 27, From the Dark to Cemetery Girl. Date, Sunday, October 6th. Subject, the whole story. With your mum, does it ever feel like you've buried all kinds of memories in a box, but when someone tugs at one, they all break free? That happened today. Someone started asking about my father, and now I can't stop thinking about him. My mum used to think my dad hung the stars. She wasn't alone. He could do no wrong in my eyes, in a lot of people's eyes. He was a friendly guy, always had a smile, got along with everyone. He could talk about sports, he could talk about politics, he could make my sister laugh at the dinner table, even when she was in a mood. He would gallop around the backyard with my sister or me on his back, chasing whoever was still on the ground. He owned his own business and made good money. Everyone thought we were the perfect family. They didn't know he drank alcohol like it was water. A lot of people put drinking on a shelf beside anger and violence. They don't realise that happy drunks can be just as dangerous as the crazy, violent ones. More dangerous, really, now that I think about it. People asked mum why she didn't leave him sooner, like he was beating the hell out of her on weekends or something. He never laid a hand on her. He wasn't that kind of drunk. He loved my mother. He loved us kids. That was never a problem. We all loved him back. Maybe that was the problem. When I was really little, I thought that because dad was happy, everyone was happy. It took a while for me to understand the strained expression on my mother's face when he'd come home lit. Around the time I turned nine, I began to figure it out. His voice would turn different. He was too permissive, too forgetful. I lost track of how many times he forgot to pick me up from school. I started walking home just so the teachers would stop asking questions. I used to go to work with him on the weekends and sometimes he'd forget to take me home with him. Mum would come and fetch me later, shaking her head to the other guys about her scatterbrained husband. They all knew, I'm sure of it, but they never did anything. She didn't either. Like I said, happy drunk. Everyone loved him. Harmless, right? I'm sure you know what's at the end of this road. I told you he killed my sister. When I was 13, I started driving him home on the weekends. I know that sounds crazy, but he taught me to drive young. It's kind of like how kids on a farm can plough a field when they're seven, or kids who grow up hunting can fire a rifle as soon as they're strong enough to carry one. We were always the last to leave the shop to lock up, so it was easy. I was always so scared someone would catch me, but I didn't have any alternative. I'd learned that Dad swerving on the road wasn't a game, it was a threat. One time he hit something and kept going. I still have no idea what it might have been. But sometimes I have nightmares that we hit a person. I remember asking him over and over again if we should go back and check. But he wasn't even aware we'd struck something. I told mum about it and she shook her head and told me that I was overreacting. So one Saturday afternoon, I made a decision. I hid his keys. He stumbled around his office, slamming doors and checking pockets, getting agitated. I hung in the corner, the keys trapped in my pocket, almost shaking with tension of what could happen. Maybe we should call mum, I said. He grunted, your mother's working. What are you going to do if you can't find your keys? I hope he say that we'd call a cab or we'd call one of the guys back to drive us. No, he swept everything off his desk, everything making a mess and yelled. 
Damn you people. I'll tear someone a new one for stealing my keys. It was the first time I'd ever seen him turn the corner to mean drunk. I wasn't started helping. I found his keys real quick. I was shaking and I didn't want him to drive, especially now. I kept my voice light like I was joking. Maybe I could drive home, see if anyone catches us. For half a second, I thought he was going to snatch the keys out of my hand. He didn't. He laughed and patted me on the back and said, good boy. That was the beginning. I never told anyone, not even my best friend, I loved my father. And I knew that this was the only way to keep him out of trouble. I was tall for my age and I'd wear a baseball cap so no one ever glanced twice. It's amazing how many people will look the other way when they don't think something's a big deal. My sister was clueless and we kept it that way. She wouldn't have figured it out anyway. Dad had long since given up trying to teach anything mechanical to carry. She was a girly girl in every sense of the word. She was a kid, a baby in my eyes. I was in eighth grade and I stupidly thought I was special. I wasn't breaking the law. I was a man taking care of my family. I was helping. I think mom started to count on my driving. I know she did. She asked me to take care of my father on the day my sister died. That was our code. Take care of him and drive him wherever he needs to go. I was supposed to be on the overnight trip for scouts that weekend. I'd been looking, I'd been looking forward to it for weeks. But then mum got a cold into work. Dad had gone through half a pack of six, half a six pack by 9am. Mum didn't want anyone to see dad show up with me at camp smelling like a brewery. So my trip was cancelled. I sulked around the house for hours, slamming doors and heaving big breaths of disappointment. I'm sure you can imagine when dad asked me to drive him to his shop. I slammed my door in his face and told him to get there himself if he wanted to go so badly. I thought he'd stay home. In such a short amount of time, I'd grown used to being a chauffeur, and I assumed that if I were driving, he would stay home. I was wrong. He went out. He took Carrie with them. Only one of them came home. The stormy weather from Friday night has returned, forcing everyone to hang out in the cafeteria before class starts. Today's breakfast special is pancakes and hash browns. The place is packed. Rowan's skipped the pancakes in favour of a fruit cup. I can't remember the last time we've had an opportunity to sit down and actually eat before school started. Breakfast isn't a quick fare when hundreds of other people had the same idea. The rain kept me out of the cemetery this morning, though, and I'm feeling the need for some comfort food. A stack of pancakes sits on my tray untouched. Now that they're in front of me, I haven't been able to take a bite. What's up with you this morning, says Rowan, popping a blueberry into her mouth. I can't stop thinking of the dark setter. I can't repeat a word of it to Rowan. He didn't say I needed to keep his words a secret, but he didn't need to. I poke up the pancakes, but they look like a big sticky mess. Just thinking. About your mystery guy? I narrow my eyes at her. Don't mock it. She shrugs equably. I'm not mocking him. Why don't you try to find out who he is? I've thought about it, I hesitate, considering his letter. I don't think we have that kind of relationship. I think it only works because we don't know who the other person is. What do you talk about? I look away and prod the pancakes. I'd be lying if I said I weren't desperately curious about him. 
I wonder what would happen, have happened if Declan Murphy had sh- hadn't shown up Friday night. I've never been able to speak so openly with someone, with the dark. I'm not some girl who had it all together before veering off the rails. It's, I'm just me. He's just him. Rowan is still waiting for an answer. I shove a forkful of pancake into my mouth. Nothing. Just stuff. Oh my god, Jules, you're blushing. This is appalling. She's right, I can feel her. I'm not. She leans in and teases me. Do you need a mirror? You're bright red. Stop it. It's not like that. We talk about heavy things. I don't want to say death. Even that much feels like breaking confidence. We're not flirting. So he hasn't sent you a picture of his manhood yet? I burst out laughing. Has Brandon sent you a picture of his? No. Now she's blushing. Knowing him, it would be artfully framed with perfect lighting and specifically placed shadows. Shut up. But she's giggling. I have missed this so much. I didn't realise how much until we were doing it again. Rowan's laughter stops, her eyes fixed on someone behind me. I think Mr Girardi is looking for you again. I wait for the instinct need to hide to overtake me. But this morning it's missing. I turn in the seat and look for my old photography teacher. When he sees me, his face lights up and he manoeuvres his way through the cafeteria to where we're sitting. Juliet, he says, I'm glad I caught with you this morning. I had a shot chance to download the pictures from Thursday afternoon and you got some amazing shots. Really nice use of light. Most of those probably the ones I took, says Rowan. His eyebrows knit together. What? She's being silly, I hesitate. It's weird to be complimented on photographs after so long. Thanks. I was wondering if you'd have the opportunity to help me edit some for the yearbook. I freeze. He speaks into the silence and his voice is gentle, accommodating. Only if you have time. I don't want to tamper with your work if if I don't have to. A familiar tightness begins wrapping around my chest and I look away from him. I'm glad I see the photographs. I took the photographs. Sorry. Um, A familiar tightness begins wrapping around my chest and I look away from him. I'm glad I took the photographs, but going back to the photo lab means putting another foot closer to rejoining that world. I don't know. I peer up at him. Can I think about it? Of course. He begins to turn away and then pauses. But there's one in particular that I'd like you to do on your own, if you wouldn't mind. I think it would be a perfect rap shot for the cover. My heart stops and stutters back to life. Every year they do a shot that wraps around from the back of the yearbook to the front. It's a big deal and it's usually a planned thing. I don't know if it's ever been taken, a photo taken by a student. Really? He nods, really. The first bell rings and he looks at the clock. I need to get back to my classroom. Let me know, okay? Okay. My voice trails after him as he fights his way through the swarm of students. Jules? Rowan hits me in the arm. This is awesome. A year ago, I would have been, a, this would have been, it would have been a dream come true. Now I'm not sure how to feel about it. I stepped away from photography for a reason. I'll never have the talent she had. 
My thrill at Mr. Girardi's praise was so minor compared with what Mum could have captured with a camera. I have to go to homeroom, I say. I don't need another detention. She must have picked up on my mood shift. Are you okay? Yeah, fine. I storm past her to pitch the unfinished pancakes into the trash can, then whirl to rush to class. I end up in the path of Declan Murphy. He's got an empty container in his hand, so he must have been headed for the trash can as well. I consider ducking away and losing myself in the stream of students until I realise that he seems to be considering the same thing. For a moment, we both freeze, but then he completes his motion, tossing the container into the trash before stopping in front of me. He's as tall and imposing as ever, but after the way he helped me in the rain, he's not nearly so frightening. I keep thinking about what we talked about, how people are judged on one snapshot of their lives, and I I will myself to look up at him. Hey, I say, hey. His voice is quieter than I expected, and his presence has created a pocket of space between us. I'm going to be late for homeroom, but for a heartbeat, I don't want to move. I got new tyres, I announce, and a new battery. I noticed. I blink. You notice? Well, I noticed the tyres. He lifts one shoulder. Your car is hard to miss. Oh, is he insulting me? I don't know what to say, and I can't read his expression. He moves a little closer, and for the first time, he looks less guarded, almost hesitant. Hey, I wanted to ask you something. I look into his eyes. This is so different from where, when we were in the car, when I was nearly pressed against the door to stay away from him. The rush of students makes me step closer, too, getting out of their way. I never thought I'd be this close to him, exchanging words like we're not at the opposite ends of a spectrum. A breath is rowing, catches my arm. Jules, what are you doing? Her eyes flick dismissively at Declan. I thought you didn't want to be late. Just a sec, I tell her, as the second bell rings. We have three minutes to be in our seats, but my subconscious is telling me to play this out. I look back at Declan, but I can see his expression shifting, shutting down. What did you want to ask me? He looks down at the two of us. Nothing. Don't worry about it. He moves away, sliding into the throng of students, making their way to the door. Wait, I call after him, but he's already gone.